When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Here comes Blitz. Blitz is coming. Jackson scrambles. Needs help. Touchdown. Throws to Shanko. He's got it. Touchdown, Vikings. All right, welcome in to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels in a sad day in Viking land as Tavares Jackson passed away this morning in a one-car accident. Uh, And so we have the coverage at scorenorth.com and a lot of people offering their tributes. And uh, I guess just the timing here, we were always on on Mondays together, Sage Rosenfels, but... Tavares Jackson, a former teammate of yours, someone that you shared a quarterback room with uh, during that 2009 season with Brett Favre as the starter. And I guess I will start by just leaving the floor to you that you uh, would know a lot more about Tavares than me. So what would you like to say? I mean, it's a very a very tragic day with Tavares Jackson passing away. Yeah, you know, so the, the lead up to me, for me, you know, coming to the Vikings was, you know, Shab's back up in Houston and, and we got along fairly well, but I can't see we have a great relationship. And, you know, he, he was the guy that sort of had, had come in, uh, you know, they had traded for him, uh, and he got a big contract and, and I was just making backup money. And, and so I really was, and, and I, I played a lot in Houston and we sort of basically almost split time because he got hurt a lot in different things. So, Anyway, I was really hoping to start, and, and Minnesota was this opportunity uh, that, you know, they had made the playoffs before. They knew there was tons of talent on this team, and, and you know, Tavares was you know, mostly an unproven, you know, quarterback for the most part. He had obviously finished the, the season before and, and played in a playoff game, and you know, so I was coming in to com- compete with him, and, you know, I, I didn't know him at all, and, and, uh, and you know, we got along right away. I, I can't say we were like great friends right off the bat. Obviously, you know, we're just getting to know each other, and you sort of feel each other out of how you compete. And and you know, I'm trying to learn things from him because obviously he knows the offense way better than I do. Uh, and uh, but as you know, we we competed in the summertime. I, I think that you know, we both. I, I had some issues probably a little bit with maybe the offense, and and I was trying to learn it, and some things didn't make a lot of sense to me. And of course, Devars had been sort of through some of those challenges and also with the other veterans who had been there in the past probably heard some of my same complaints two or three times from the other older guys and so i think we started to bond almost over that um and uh but when Favre showed up 
that's when I think we actually became friends hmm. um, because we are both now not really competing. Uh, Childers made him the number two guy, made me the number three guy. Um, and but but it was more of, you know, let's see how this goes. I guess there's nothing we can do about it. So we both sort of sat back and sort of watched Favre do his thing. And, and of course, you know, and, and early on we, we knew how good he was. I mean, that first practice probably, we probably looked at each other a couple of times like, this dude can really throw the football. <laughs> uh, and and so, you know, and, and, and as we got into the season, as we got into the, the whole thing, you know that quarterback room came became pretty tight. I mean, I think Tavares and I were both like, "Listen, we we could win a dang Super Bowl." Like, <laughs> I, I know it's nice yeah. to be the starter, but you can't complain about that. You know, and watching Brett do his thing and being a part of that room, and and Favre started setting records and throwing touchdown after touchdown and and making this offense work that we had. You know, we we couldn't do the things that he could do. You know, and and he just somehow just made it happen and made unbelievably tight throws and. And so, you know, he was a sort of a come-to-work guy. He, he worked hard every single day. He wasn't arrogant. He was very well-liked in the locker room. And that was one of the things that I really remember when I showed up there. It was like, great, all the guys really liked Tavares. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, this is going to be hard to beat out a guy <laughs> yeah. who it seems like players and coaches really like him, you know. And um, so so we both got to go on that ride, and, you know, we – we both. I wish I would have had a chance to, you know, hang out with him uh, another time. It's been a long time since I've seen him, but uh, you know, we both have so many stories that happened throughout that season: practices, games, meetings. I mean, tons of those legendary moments that occurred in games that people sort of talked about. Like, you know, what happened in Chicago and what happened, obviously, in that that championship game. But just all those games throughout the year and different controversies that went along with, say, say Brett. Uh, and Childress, like when, when Chile was gonna uh, pull him out, uh, was I think it was a Sunday night game. We're playing at Carolina. We're winning seven six at halftime, and and uh, it, you know Brett's playing fine, but he's just getting his tail kicked. Our mm-hmm. our offensive line was getting beat. Julius Peppers was, you know, he Favre got hit like eight times in the first half or ten times or something like that, and and uh, Childress uh, walked over to to Tavares and I, and he goes. Hey, if, if Brett gets hit anymore, I'm gonna take him out. And and he walked away. And Tavares is like, I don't want any of that. Like, who wants to be the person who gets you know put in because Favre, who's getting beat up too much by the offensive line and all of the you know soap opera that everyone knew that would entail. So just little things like that that would happen throughout the year. And when he did get in in some of those sort of blowouts, man, he played really well. He played pretty dang well in those games uh, that he did go in. And, and stuff, and so you know, then we went through the whole season, went through the off season, and it was like the same thing. But you know, this time we actually sort of liked each other more. We kn- both knew that we were going to go through this competition again, with also in the back of our minds that Brett might show up again. But mm-hmm. you know, we both just sort of uh, stuck our nose down and, and worked, and and you know, tried to make the team better. We knew we obviously had this great team, but we didn't know what was going to happen with the Favre thing. And then obviously Favre came back, and and I ended up being uh, traded. Uh, to to the Giants and and that was sort of it and uh, and obviously you know he ended up winning the Super Bowl with with Seattle which uh, um, w- which is pretty cool and and uh, but you know it was just I, I got woken up Kevin Rogers was like quarterback coach and and he he sent me a text this morning and I got from Kenny Anatolo who's a linebacker who lives near me in Omaha and uh, those are guys who obviously knew him very well and. Mm-hmm. 
and I called up Kevin Rogers, and we, we started talking about it. And it, it, it was a great quarterback room. And the value of that, especially uh, with a guy like Favre, and, but we got along so well, and there's every reason for us to not get along right. and, and to maybe not like each other or, or whatever it might be. And, man, that was a lot of fun that year. But that quarterback room with Kevin Rogers as, as our guy, and obviously Bevel was in there a lot too, but, you know, free-flowing discussions about all sorts of things. And we all come from, you know, almost different eras where Favre is 10 years old than me and I was about, you know, five, six years than T-Jack. And, but those guys are from the South also, mm-hmm. you know, Alabama and Mississippi. And so they had that Southern thing going on. So they'd make fun of me sometimes because <laughs> I was like the – the guy from the Midwest, and and um, and you know it was, and you know of course uh, uh, T Jack was definitely more up to date on the you know what was going on in the uh, uh, you know pop culture world or <laughs> sure. the music scene of course than more than Brett and I, but uh, yeah he was a, just a great teammate to have us in that locker room and and you know just so many conversations and and I, I remember you know Kevin Roger just saying a lot and you know I had older kids at that point I think my son was probably close to nine nine or something and uh and my, my daughter was probably about six and i had a young one too but i just remember kevin rogers regularly talking to t jack about his kids and he had a son and and uh um, and just you know the things that they were doing and first time father and and all those things and so you know that was a great room those are those are great memories in my life and uh, uh it's really a bummer that uh, i'm not gonna have a chance to to share those uh somewhere down the line with with, with T-Jack. And, and Sage, just you and I going around at the Combine and talking to different people that you played with and things like that, uh, there is a bond between guys who have done the thing that you've done, play in the NFL, especially for a long time, like you and Tavares Jackson both did, that few people have, I think. That, that there's an understanding of shared experiences that brings you closer even if you weren't that close but in this case you guys got along really well and and i feel like from your perspective it has to be even more of a gut punch because it's one of the few other people who did what you did and you have that sort of bond yeah it's a pretty small circle believe it or not i don't know how many you know quarterbacks playing the league for you know six plus seven plus years uh, but you know we're all in there trying to you know live this dream, and at the same time trying to make as much money as possible. And you know, team is an interesting thing, but there's also like this individual like competing at my spot, and mm-hmm. and, and and when when two guys are truly competing for the job, or or when guys the fifth string guy, and how a how a Hall of Fame guy treats the fifth string quarterback for training camp, and you know there's such a respect there because it is hard, and I know a lot of people look at professional athletes is uh uh you know just all talent and man you're given so much talent and <laughs> yeah and I, I tell you what a lot of the talent is what we were given by uh the way we were born and by our parents in our minds uh and 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 what we, we you know work ethic and if you want something uh you have to work extremely hard to, to get it and um, um and then to stay focused and uh uh, you know, be on top of, of your academics and, and to be a good person. It takes a lot uh, of, of doing the right things in life to be, I, I think, a good, uh, you know, NFL quarterback. It's not just, you know, just talent, uh, and especially at that position. It's such a hard position. There's so much you got to know. There's so much uh, a pressure on it. Um, and the guys that have played it and not even at the highest levels, but just made it to the NFL and played for a few years and, and had a nice run, 
um, there's just a lot of respect there, and and uh, and I very much respect the way Tavares did his business. Um, uh, and, and the way he worked and the way he was a teammate. And, again, the way he was respected on that football team. He was, he was a really, really well-liked guy. And, and uh, um, you know, I think a lot of former Vikings from that era are, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those days. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, condolences, obviously, to his family and teammates uh, who knew him and to you as well, someone who shared some very interesting times with him. So we're going to move along and do what we do here, which is, uh, talk about football and, and sort of try to, you know, do the best we can um, during even tougher times. You know, it hit me this morning when there's so much going on in the world, and every time you open up your Twitter, it's something terrible that you're reading every day. And then when some other tragedy gets added onto it, it's like, okay, this is this is a lot, you know. So um, yeah. we'll, we'll just try to, to move forward and talk football as we always do. But uh, obviously, again, condolences to Tavares Jackson's family. Um, speaking of which, Sage, tonight on ESPN, just coincidentally. Yeah, all, all, all at the same time, yeah. by the way. Yes. I, I got a, a call from uh, Lindsey Young last week uh, to talk about this story about tonight's game. You know, Vikings.com. Really yeah, yeah. She writes for Vikings.com, and I think she interviewed Greenway as well and maybe a couple other guys on that team, but they're going to replay the, the Packers at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Vikings Monday night game of 2009. It was week four, uh, one week uh, after that crazy 49ers game. Mm-hmm. You know, we're off to a 3 0 start, and Favre has just put on probably the best performance I've ever seen at the end of a game by a quarterback in my career, and, and uh, when I was on the sidelines for it. And then, you know, he's playing his former team um, on Monday night football. And you know they're going to replay it. It was a shootout. Aaron Rodgers threw for like three seventy-eight. Favre threw for like two seventy-eight. But Favre got sacked zero times, and, and Rodgers like eight times. Um, we sort of couldn't stop him, but we, we sort of stopped him when we had to, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, sort of the, the key plays in the game. But Favre was was uh, perfect, almost a dang perfect football game, from what I recall. It was. You know, with all that pressure, and you know, I I know playing against that old team, what that meant to him, and and uh, to, to to go win that football game, uh, that was. Uh, I'm really looking forward to trying to watch that tonight, and you know, maybe we'll see uh, little, little T Jack and myself on the sidelines, hopefully with a few smiles. Favre, 24 for 31, 271, three touchdowns, no picks, zero sacks. As you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers, 384 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, and eight times sacked. You nailed that one. And, Can you uh, imagine that though? Going that's you know, crazy. Twenty four of thirty one. So I don't know what percent that is. I'm not that smart, but it's I believe it's like seventy seven percent, seventy six percent, probably something like that. Um, three touchdowns, no sacks against a team that you played for seventeen years for. Yes. like that is rising to the dang equation in a uh, stressful football game. Yeah. You know, it's every time that you talk about Brett Favre, I, and I'm sure our listeners feel the same way, just really like my ears perk up because there are some people who have played this game who just rise to the level at every turn. And I know Favre had plays where he made mistakes and threw interceptions and everything like that. And part of it was always him trying to do too much, like in the game against New Orleans. But there are so many games along the way in his career where he just rises to the level and plays at all-time great, where you would take him 
over almost anyone who has ever put on a football uniform. And I put him in terms of like if you were if you're taking the all time highlight reel for players, you'd have like Randy Moss, Favre, Walter Payton, maybe Michael Vick, but he's right there. And this game has all sorts of these throws where you just go, Oh my gosh. Yeah, you, like, you how know, old is this guy? There's you don't see Joe Mont and I think I you know oh before Brady came along I was like Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback of all time mm-hmm. for various reasons but he wasn't a highlight reel mm-hmm. you know Favre's a highlight reel and the throws that he made when he was young but I said even in that year I, I think it was like year nineteen or something like that eighteen uh, just his arm was still had so much juice to it but his accuracy was just insane and the tight tight windows uh, that he fit balls into was just incredible. And guys who have strong arms a lot of times just aren't accurate. They throw a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, balls out in the left field and yep. and he he rarely missed. He rarely missed and and uh, and then the, the hits they took and all those things. Uh, man, that guy could that guy could he was a highlight reel. And and I've seen some videos around Twitter that sort of, you know, show a younger Brett Favre in Green Bay just with crazy strong arm throws you know you're at the plus 30 and he's running sideways and just a dart a straight line <laughs> to like the back of the end zone to uh to you know uh, sharp or something like that i mean the guy had an absolute cannon you know what's crazy to me too is just having you know in a lot of ways the belief in yourself to make even try that for the first time right like yeah. to even do that to even do that once in a way it looks like a mistake at first like oh man he made a bad decision and got away with it but that was a huge portion of his career and you mentioned that he completed a lot of them for the era his completion percentage when he was coming up even in the early 90s was yeah. tremendous he had an ability to like free his mind you know like to to throw a football to into a space where there's usually just the defense is sort of in the area and try to throw it between them as your guys like rolling into it, you have to free your mind of all the terrible things that can happen. And he had like this ability to do that and to also like manipulate players with his eyes and mm-hmm. so okay that little linebacker is supposed to drop to that area, which is where I'm throwing to say the the, the X receiver, but I'm gonna move him out of his area, even like make him break his own uh, um, his own technique. You know, Kyle Shanahan used to, used to say, "If you can get a defender to break their technique, you've won." Yeah. So he would sure. get that little linebacker for for no reason to move out of his designated area as he dropped with his eyes, and then like throw it right behind his ear, really blind. Like this, the stuff that Mahomes does. I think Favre did that like in practice a ton, mm-hmm. but he would do sort of things like that. And I think Pat Mahomes, and even like Tony Romo, and even Aaron Rodgers. I think those guys uh, are are great quarterbacks in uh, because of watching Brett. I think he was one of those guys of this era that people watched for a long time, and you can play quarterback that way. You can also play it with Joe Montana and have perfect footwork and mm-hmm. and perfect rhythm and great accuracy and, and Drew Brees. But you can also like you've got a live arm. You can you know you don't have to just be this mechanical structured quarterback. Uh, you can go out there and be a playmaker, and it's really really hard to to do that time and time again. And, and Brett played that way for such a long time too. That's another thing is he played like at a like a young quarterback for his whole career. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of guys yeah. they start that way, and then they as they learn the game better, and they they realize like I can't run around like like this forever, and they change their game a little bit. And and he really could, uh, uh, you know, do those things for a long, long time. I, he was a physical freak for how. Uh, you know, strong he is was as an, at an old age, and and yet said his accuracy. That's what really surprised me, and and for how uh, strong arm he had, it, there were so many throws. I was like, wow. I mean, I was thinking of Tavares, and I'd be like, I can't make that throw. <laughs> like we'd be on the sidelines, and someone happened, like I can't make that throw. I mean, that's that's uh, just a throw that is is too hard, too fast, and the window's too small. But Brett could do that, and and. Um, you know, that's uh, he, he was really something else. Well, I'm looking forward to watching this game tonight. And if people have never seen it, his sit down with John Gruden is so good because I, I think that there was a misconception that Favre just wanted to be standing back there and just just playing, just running around and throwing it wherever. But he shows you in that sit down with John Gruden how much knowledge he had of the game and how he had kind of like the photographic memory where John Gruden would show him practice tape from the early 90s and he would be like, oh yeah, that's this play and that's how it worked and that was the read. You'd be like, what are we, 20 years later and you you still remember that uh, almost perfectly to a T and he remembered how he would feel something with the defense, like they knew what was coming so he would change a route with with a particular receiver and now every offense has those sort of things built in but he was just doing them themselves and it reminds me somebody said to me recently that you know there's a lot of people who have the knowledge of football of how everything's supposed to work but the great players have creativity in is built into their intelligence and i think that that was Favre, very very much so very creative guy and you know would do things that were very unusual and things I'd never seen before. And, and it was almost like it was all feel and almost like le- less like over-diagnosing things yeah. or analyzing things. He had such great feel. Like Here's an example. We all know those blitzes when a team will blitz from one side and the opposite side defensive end will drop into coverage. You're like, why is Everson Griffin dropping into coverage? Well, they <laughs> zone, want to, they want to blitz. blitz, but play some sort of zone behind it. Yep. And if you're going to blitz, you know, try to blitz five from one side and you want to play zone, you got to drop somebody from the other side, basically. And sometimes it's a linebacker or something, but other times and being like this defensive end. And, and a lot of times, if you saw that, you would... Uh, if you really did see it coming and you knew it was going to happen, you could slide your entire line and put, uh, like, say, to that blitz and put your running back on the like defensive end mm-hmm. that it, we we assume is going to drop into coverage. Yeah. Now, if he doesn't, we got a problem. You know, like you just don't want to have a two hundred five pound running back on a two hundred eighty five pound defensive end. So, <laughs> right. you know, that's and, and you know they're still in a three point most of the time. So you don't. It's not a for sure thing. Like you're 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 making some assumptions here if, if you decide to do that and full slide the line. Well, Favre would do that, but he would also then tell the running back to run a what we call a Texas route, which is like an angle route. Uh, you know, he reruns oh, towards the flat and then he angles across, sort of like a little slant out of the backfield. For a running back, because what the defensive end's not going to come, so I'm going to basically run a guy at him and then slide underneath him and have this like little running back route over the middle, and it would just it's going to hit. It, 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 it's like the perfect play you can possibly design for that exact blitz. And I had never seen a coach talk about doing that before in my career. And it was like week four, he tells Chester to do that in a practice one time, like in a two-minute drill, just says to him, like, run a Texas route. And he's like, oh, Chester's like, okay. And he does it, <laughs> and like, Favre hits him for 25 yards in a two-minute drill. 
like that that I think it was more feel and yeah, less like yeah. okay we're gonna do this guy for that guy and this guy like the Eli Manning of like okay this guy's gonna new mic it and we're gonna do it he would just like tell the line a, a quick call and then like make a quick adjustment and and it, again it was like stuff I'd never really seen before and I really didn't see almost any time in my career because coaches just don't like giving up all of that <laughs> right. power. Because, you know, sometimes Favre could be wrong. But one time he was wrong, he did in the game, and the defensive end did blitz, and, and Chester did run a Texas route, and he still hit him for, like, a six-yard <laughs> gain and just, like, made the defensive end miss. I mean, uh, you know, so, some, some incredible stuff. Yeah, there's um, a bunch of things that just all have to go right to even be decent to make the NFL and then to have all those other things click into place for Brett Favre and then have the toughness to be able to take hits after hits after hits for years and and keep coming back in the competitive nature. Uh, there is no end to fun watching Brett Favre. And in terms of just most entertaining athletes of all time, he's got to be in that that elite top tier of people that you want to watch no matter what. So tonight it will be on ESPN, Vikings and Packers 2009, where the Vikings, of course, went to 4-0 and that year and an incredible performance by Favre. So yeah, you know, uh, that'll be fun. Favre is that he- he really enjoyed playing football. Like I love playing football too, but it's it's uh, uh, it's stressful out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like especially when you're a guy that's like me, who is a third string guy, backup. You, you get in, like you're trying to do things perfect. You're trying right. to be productive every play. It's hard to like let the let the mind go free. And, and Favre did that because he just loved playing, and he didn't have, I think. You know, whatever, very stressed up. He wasn't, sort of, I guess, so concerned about screwing up. Uh, and he was just all about the attack and how we can uh, take advantage of something. And they're doing this. Let's do this. And if they do this, we'll just, you know, I'll, I'll throw a ball right behind that guy's ear. Like, he was always sort of on the attack because I think he just loved, loved playing. And, uh, man, he was he was very good. I'm really looking forward to this game tonight. I, I haven't really thought that much about it. And, actually, that was one of the things I thought about this morning when I heard that news. I was like, man, that game is on tonight. Like I, I, you know, re- now I really want to watch that and, mm-hmm. and you know, see T. Jack on the sideline, those things, and now see Far work his magic. Well, uh, feel free to uh, live tweet some of your thoughts during the game because uh, that would be interesting we'll, for everybody. I think we'll definitely do that. We'll um, definitely do that. I'm not like I was a, as a Periscope where. You <laughs> yeah, we're go actually going like, to be doing. Yeah, we're actually going to be doing one of those. So where we go live on Twitter, Declan and I will be on there tonight as sort of a watch along slash Vikings. Q&A. We'll be doing that at 8 o'clock. So if you're on Twitter and you see it pop up from the Score North account, jump on there and uh, maybe we'll read a few of your tweets, Sage. So maybe, let's, we should, uh, maybe we should set up a Zoom account and get like, how many people can you do a Zoom account? Like 30 or something yeah. like that? You can I, do like I don't know. You guys had a, can, yeah. a bunch of them on the other day, for sure. Yeah, I don't uh, know if you can with do the video that We, we had about 15 or 18, so yeah, that was a lot of fun, by the way. I I don't know if you did you see that or did you uh, I, I saw what you guys did, yeah. With the So you're sitting there with Joe Maurer and a bunch of other uh, different random people. Yeah, Basically, the idea was see who you could get, like who's the most famous person that you can get on your uh, on your Zoom call was sort of the concept, right? I, I don't know if it was the most famous. I, it started off as Mac. He just said, like, hey, you know, text some, some Minnesota or some sports people and, and see if they want to come on a random Zoom call. We'll just mm. see the most random people come on there. So, I, you know, I sent a text out to a couple former Viking guys I knew and, and some were busy and whatever and and uh, you know, got, but I, 
I just sort of like, okay, who else? Well, like Lester Bagley, Lester Bagley came on. Lindsay from the from the Vikings, uh, she came on, and, and Mike Silver from NFL Network, <laughs> uh, George Niang, uh, former you know Iowa State and basketball and Utah Jazz basketball player. Just he's a buddy of mine, and I know he's just sitting in his apartment doing nothing because I just saw him post something on Twitter. So <laughs> you know, a lot of people are sort of hanging out, not not sure what to do. But it was a it was a neat mix, and you know, listen to Joe Meyer talk about his kids and. You know, I said having a, you know, like Lindsey Winner, Ryan Saunders uh, was also on. It was a, a very, very random you know, mix of people, and, and uh, it, it was it definitely a neat experience. Hopefully we do something like that again. Speaking of Zoom calls, the Vikings are going to have one with Kirk Cousins tomorrow, so that should be very interesting for Wednesday for you and I to discuss some of his comments about losing uh, his number one wide receiver. But uh, we've got to get to a break here. Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar, I've got... Five Viking what-ifs. I gave the list to Courtney Cronin the other day on the air. I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to pick the one that's the most interesting. Vikings draft what-ifs out of the Mike Zimmer era. I wrote a big article about it at scorenorth.com. You can see it there. And also, Bill Barnwell has been extremely reckless in his speculation of potential draft trades involving the Vikings. We will continue to discuss when we return here on Purple Daily. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company. And Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local Federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North and many of our great local advertising partners remain open for business, and you can hear from them daily right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. We are all in this together, and you can hear how you can support our local community by visiting scorenorth.com keyword open. Also over at scorenorth.com right now. Plenty of Vikings-related content from Matthew Collar right now. The most fascinating Vikings draft what-ifs of the Zimmer era. We'll get to that in just a moment. That's over there at scorenorth.com right now, as well as part four of the best Vikings draft fits based on the position. This time, Matthew Collar is looking at the defensive tackles. Again, that's all for free over at Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. To the draft what-ifs, I spent far too much of my Sunday diving deep into the Mike Zimmer era draft. What if they drafted this guy, that guy, or whatever, the ones that stuck out the most to me? So, Sage, I'm going to present the five that I came up with that were the most interesting, and you tell me which one you want to talk about, okay? So, my first one is Aaron Donald over Anthony Barr. Second is... Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. You're... These are players that the Vikings could have drafted but didn't. Oh, gotcha. It's like the what if they drafted Aaron Donald instead of Anthony Barr. Gotcha. What if they drafted Michael Thomas instead of Laquan Treadwell? What if they drafted Lamar Jackson instead of Mike Hughes? What if the Vikings picked either Andre Dillard, Marquise Brown, or Montez Sweat instead of Garrett Bradbury? And what if they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo instead of Teddy Bridgewater? So which one of those is the most interesting to you? And I wrote not, way not, too many words about all of them, so they're yeah, all interesting to me. Not the not not the Garoppolo Bridgewater one. Um, really, I was proud of that one because I it's never talked about. 
Like they draft Bridgewater and he's great, but he gets hurt, and the next two yeah, quarterbacks I, taken are Carr and Garoppolo. And I mean, you can't help but wonder if they take Jimmy Garoppolo if he takes them to a Super Bowl at some point because they don't have to spend you know a first round draft pick and all the money to you know get Sam Bradford and fit him underneath the cap and and so forth. So you know, you wonder they would have been solidified at the quarterback position for a long time had they selected Garoppolo instead of Teddy. Yeah, but I I still think Teddy was the right pick. I think it was a sort of a freak situation there. Like I, I oh yeah, Teddy, for sure. If Teddy wouldn't have got hurt, I I think there's probably similar quarterbacks in some ways. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I I can't I'm not going to describe all their skill sets, but they're both quality quarterbacks. Yes. I I believe so. That's why I was sort of like, well, that's I see them both as quality quarterbacks. Yeah, but the injury of course changes the whole thing. The, the injury is what makes it interesting because it's not yeah. necessarily a matter of was Teddy a good pick because he was a good pick. Uh, they got someone that looked like he was going to be their franchise quarterback, but the difference is just like. Would Jimmy Garoppolo have developed the same if he didn't spend time on the bench, if he didn't spend time behind Tom Brady, if he doesn't get into a Kyle Shanahan offense and instead it's the Norv offense? Uh, a bunch of different tentacles off that one. But tell me if there's another one that sticks out to you. Well, the other one I thought was the Aaron Donald pick, most because he's so dominant. And the Vikings have had good defensive ends. But if they had a guy like that on the inside, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I think Linville Joseph was a very good player very different interior D lineman as Donald and and uh, Linville was big and he was strong and he gets some push but Donald just disrupts both the run and the pass game he's such a phenomenal player and you know over the years I imagine the Vikings could have gotten fairly easily another linebacker it's easier to find good linebackers than really good you know inside nose tackle you know three technique guys who are great run and 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 so that i think that would have been a game changer for this team it would have made this defense which has been always very good absolutely dominant i, I think that's the one piece they've really missed is just sort of a dominating guy inside but you know Sheldon Richard was was a good player and he was more a pass rusher but they just haven't had that type of guy and he's a game changer you know a hall of fame a game changer in his prime on that d-line man it would have Everson and Neil would have probably had even more sex than they than they've had the last few years. So there's two parts to each what if. One is did they make a mistake in not picking that player? Like could you go back and at the time have spotted that it was going to be a better decision? And in that part of it, the Vikings are kind of exonerated here because even though Aaron Donald has turned out to be a Hall of Fame level player, a, an MVP, somebody who could pick up 20 sacks in a season and just the most unstoppable player on defense in the NFL, they had just the year before drafted Sharif Floyd for that same exact position. True. And Sharif Floyd, he was a good player. So, like, right away he had shown some flashes, and then you know, he goes on to prove over the next two seasons that he was a good player. But like Teddy Bridgewater, he suffers a knee injury, there's a botched surgery, and then his career is over. So you could go, well, it didn't really work out with Sharif Floyd, but they did pick a good player at that position. So the Vikings would have been saying, well, we really don't have a need for this guy. And the other part of it, too, Sage, is that Aaron Donald is one of those draft outliers. He's six foot one, two hundred and eighty five pounds when he comes in the league. He probably weighs more now. But how many would, would you say he's uh there's a there's a sort of a John Randall similarity there. Yes, for sure. The Do the undersized guy with unbelievable I, yeah. I just you know, they're just such uh intense and, and mm-hmm. quick 
and powerful football players, but of course get mi- missed a little bit, um, especially when John's is being from a small school because he, you know, he wasn't six foot five and three hundred ten pounds or whatever. Smaller guy, but those smaller guys sometimes are really explosive. You know, yep. they have shorter levers, and that's a real thing. Actually, I had a conversation this week about quarterbacks and. You know, can quarterbacks actually be too tall? You know, we mm-hmm. have all these six six guys, six seven guys, and they seem like they never make it. Uh, they're never accurate, and you know, a lot of times the greatest ones, you know, guys like Favre and and Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of times guys are six two, six three, you know, six foot Drew Brees, five ten Russell Wilson. The smaller levers actually make it. Uh, your accuracy a little bit better, but for D lineman type guys, and even Everson Griffin, he doesn't. He's not crazy tall. He's may six three, um, but you know, you're very powerful uh, when you have a little bit. Uh, you're a little bit shorter, and and Aaron Donald and John Randall both both very powerful, explosive players. Yeah, no, and uh, there has been that comparison, and it, what's funny about it is. It is so unique. Uh, I think Joe Thomas talked about this on his podcast once about how if you're facing someone with a very different body type than what you usually face, you have to alter your own technique that you're using from a week to week basis. So if you're facing someone like Brandon Graham or Everson Griffin off the edge who are not six foot six, then all of a sudden this is, this is different to you for a left tackle. And the same thing sort of goes for the interior. But at the same time, most of the guys who get John Randall comparisons totally fail. (laughs) And, yeah. and and can't make it. But the difference with Aaron Donald was that, A, he sacked the bleep out of everybody at Pittsburgh, but also at the NFL Combine, he ran in the 99th percentile of the 40-yard dash, 10-yard split, 96th percentile in the broad jump, 92nd in the three-cone, and benched 35 reps. So, like, this guy is a complete freak of nature. You could have seen it coming then that he would be a good player. I don't think you could have seen it coming that he was going to be a Hall of Fame caliber player. And from the Vikings' defensive perspective, they did need a linebacker. Somebody who could rush the passer is how Anthony Barr looked. And it was really kind of a safe pick because he had produced really well at UCLA and he's a high intelligence guy and he's got, you know, the 4640 with 6 foot 5 like he checked off all the boxes and you also cannot call this a bust either. Anthony Barr has been a good player for a long time. You signed him to a second contract and he's made pro bowls. So the pick is worked out. Don't get me the pro bowls thing. Though. I I, on, I know, I know, I know. He's maybe deserved one or two of the pro bowls. But if you're deciding did we hit on that draft pick Signing a second contract, fifth-year option. He's a longtime player for you. He's nowhere near as valuable as Aaron Donald. And I will say this: I will say this. Six years in the NFL, um, and he has 15 sacks. Yeah, and you I would not have expected that on draft night. That you would think that'd be more than that. I know he's a linebacker, but he's a linebacker that blitzes a lot, or even occasionally is a part of like an unusual front and. And he is linebacker that is right, and he doesn't get to the quarterback and uh, nearly as much as I think he should. Fifteen sacks mm-hmm. for a guy with his athletic ability at that position where you do rush the quarterback a lot. I think that number is is very low. Yeah, and uh, if you think about it, if they had drafted uh, Aaron Donald, the defensive line by like 2017 would have looked like this. Everson Griffin, Aaron Donald, Linval Joseph, Brian Robinson, still a really good player, and Daniil Hunter. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you're getting B- 70 B-Rob, sacks in a year. B-Rob was a, a little bit shorter guy, too, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and an extremely strong lower body. And, I, you know, he was a, was he a shot putter, a, a discus throw? I think he was a shot putter or something like that. Yeah. 
tried out for the Olympics. You know, those guys are are more strong combat. We had a guy at Iowa State named James Reed from Saginaw, Michigan. He was six foot tall, and he came to campus at two. 25, I think. He was a line, made 215. Linebacker, but he was only six foot, but man, he was fast. Uh, and, and after our first fall, uh, where, you know, all these freshmen in there, and he was red shirt and like me, and, and we get to the spring, so we've all been lifting weights hard, and, and we run 40s, 40 yard dashes and time ourselves in the spring. James ran like a 4 5 2. And it's like, man, this guy could really run for for you know uh, this this linebacker. And I, you know, I'm on different sides of the world. He's over on the other scout team, and I'm on offense on our scout team, and and doing the whole thing. And and he ended up putting on a whole bunch of weight. And by the time he graduated, he was 290, mm. and he still ran a four five four forty. That's wild. It was crazy, or four five eight, or something like that. It was crazy. I still had his speed. Maybe he didn't. Maybe when he was now he was two ninety. He was like two seventy, and he still could run like a four or five eight or something like that and he got his way up to 290 i think he was a seventh round draft pick and he played for eight years in the nfl and he was squatty but he was fast and he was powerful and you know the, the sport is a is a game of leverage sometimes and in, 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 yep. in that line and when you're smaller uh you're coming at an angle that's just hard for offensive linemen to sort of get under to move and you can sort of plant yourself in the ground uh and say like i'm not going anywhere mm-hmm. and it's you know it's hard for those shorter guys so sometimes i'm sorry sometimes it's hard for the offensive linemen to get down to those shorter guys and that's probably what you're talking about with the joe thomas is like you have to change your angles and yep. Yep. You, have to, you have to bend more as in like bend your knees more and just play it's hard hard to do that especially for for you know left tackles or, or guards that might be you know six foot five or even six foot six so I, I always bring up Tom Johnson for this but he was their starting three technique in the 2017 season where they have their number one defense and he was a guy that came from the CFL uh, not tall. It only weighed like 270 pounds, but he was a terror in there because he was so strong and he was so quick. And Mike Zimmer loves those guys for that position, and there are some in this year's draft that they're going to look to. Uh, none will probably turn out to be Aaron Donald, though. So thinking about that, they already created a number one defense even without Aaron Donald. What would they have been without it? It would have been, I think, a complete terror had they drafted him. But they do, they do get a pass for not picking him because they expected Tree Floyd to be there. It, that, that's obviously very true, and uh, you know to go through all those picks and to what the team is thinking or what what uh, what else occurred around it. It's hard to know all the details, but uh, that would have been nice to have. Uh, Barr's been a good player, but uh, man, Donald is. He looks like he's a Hall of Famer just waiting to happen, and he's put up unbelievable numbers in his first six seasons in the NFL too. So check what, out what were some of the other combinations you were talking oh, about? Oh, uh, check out the article scorenorth.com, By the way, um, the other combinations that I had: Michael Thomas over Laquan Treadwell. Um, that would have been. A, I mean, that would have been a game changer. That would have been huge. I mean, it's you can't. It's just so hard when you miss in a first round draft pick. It sets you back it just does you've you know you're looking for a great player that can be inexpensive for four to five years that's a great thing to have and when you don't get a great player you don't even get a good player barely have a guy that can, you know really contributes that is a big swing and a miss and uh and that does you know hit, hurt the franchise a little bit and they they got lucky in some ways with with Thielen and and Stephon oh, Diggs yeah very lucky. right very you know, absurdly so, lucky yes sort of lucky so they're lucky they you know you, you miss on the first round of it and they get lucky with a guy like Stefan 
not, not you know, and, and Adam uh, around the same time to sort of fill that void. But you know, obviously the Vikings have had had great success drafting high uh, wide receivers. Uh, in a little while. Yeah, so this one, I also, and you could tell me if you agree or disagree, but I also exonerated the Vikings on this one of draft negligence because Laquan Treadwell had such dominant numbers at Ole Miss. Everybody seemed to like him. His NFL.com draft profile has him compared to DeAndre Hopkins. And if you watched him play at Ole Miss, you would have said, man, throw this, th- throw this guy the ball all the time. Just throw it up. He's going to go get it. Uh, and Michael Thomas, if you look back on some of the write-ups with him, he was called more of a boomer bust type of prospect. He was also not the fastest guy either. He only ran a four-five-seven, and so there were lots of questions. And many other teams decided that they were going to go a different direction too. Sterling Shepard gets taken in front of him. Corey Coleman, Will Fuller, Josh Doxson. So if every other team looks at this guy and says, all right, well, we're going to go with somebody else, then it's very hard for me to say, oh, yeah, Vikings, what were you thinking not drafting him when a lot of teams made the same mistake and it just worked out that he became the best receiver in the class by far? Well, and I was one of those people that was like, I think, you know, when that a pick occurred, I remember saying, like, I think this is a really good pick. Really yeah, yeah. He was a great player. Yep. It's hard to be a great receiver in the SEC conference, and I think he was, you know, one of the best top two or three receivers in that conference which has put out a ton of wide receivers Mm -hmm. and just didn't work out it just did not work out and um it it seemed to me when i was watching film a lot of times when he'd be in there there was just more mistakes it seemed like by (laughs) him than other guys you know he might only play 10 plays in a game but i I, from what i can tell he had two mental errors you know on maybe a, Mm -hmm. a block the safety or maybe he ran the wrong route and somebody looked you know the quarterback looks at him, and obviously he ran the wrong route, and because his, his route doesn't really work with whatever is going on the outside of him, or something like that. It it just seemed like there was always one or two mental mistakes, like one out of eight plays, where there was something in there that didn't seem, you know, quite right. And that one might have been more. That's and that's the hard part about the draft is you don't know that aspect yep, of the player. That's right. That's right. Interview the, them. You can obviously have the physical tests and this, that, and the other. And, and even the mental test, they put you through all, but you don't know if they can process information like that. I think they're getting better at it, but there's this thing about concepts and, you know, there's a lot of information that's get, that gets thrown out there. And, uh, and some athletes just really struggle to process all that information very, very quickly. And that was a consistent conversation that you had with people at the NFL Combine of just like, how do you know when their their play call is a picture of SpongeBob as opposed to what the NFL is doing where you have to have, not only do you have to get more complex plays and a very thick playbook, but then you have to go to the line of scrimmage and look at the leverage of a cornerback. Is he playing off? Is he playing tight? Where's the safeties? Is it single high? Is it too deep? And, and, and what are the linebackers? doing and all these things and then read all of it in a second's notice and then by the way run your routes incredibly precise to create separation and that was something treadwell i knew it was over for him after the first year he came back in training camp and said like yeah i finally started to learn like the technique of running routes like oh man just now like you're already in the nfl uh, I think this is going to be a bit of a problem, and uh, it did. But, you know, had this worked out, had they have gotten 
Michael Thomas. You would have had a Carter Moss, Jake Reed situation. I think Thielen ends up becoming sort of the Jake Reed of the program because Thomas would have gotten all the opportunities. Diggs had already emerged in 2015 as a really good receiver. And then, so those guys would have been your outside guys, or maybe, you know, Thomas mixes into the slot, but. It would have been that type of situation. Instead, we still don't have a number three receiver here, and now don't even have a number two. Well, the thing about Thomas is that he, you know, he is he six five, six six. I, I think he might almost be six six. Yeah, he's big. But he can actually. He can I don't know if he's quite the, that big. He can play the slot. Like usually, the, the tall guys like that are on the outside. And then you have a smaller guy in the slot, or I mean, Dig. That's why Diggs could play both because he sort of could play big, but he also could play small. Michael Thomas can play that slot so well; he has a great feel and a great way to separate. But his catch radius is massive. It's mm-hmm. probably the biggest in the NFL. Rudolph is probably in the top ten on that, uh, whatever that uh, uh, sort of stat is or whatever. But he is. In, a very easy guy to throw to, yep. uh, you know, and he's not a burner. And so, I mean, it it, it it makes sense that the Vikings didn't draft him because there are those negatives. Again, you know, when you're going to draft somebody in the first round, and I've said this time and time again, you know, CYA, cover your your tail, uh, you, you have to have all these boxes checked. And if you're first a receiver and you run a four five seven, that is a, like, big red flag. Well, if, if he mm-hmm. doesn't work out, the owner's going to say, "Well, why would we <laughs> yep. draft the four, five, seven guy? Yep. Like you, you're te- you're terrible at what you do, you know. So coach or so GMs and coaches will sort of stay away from those guys because they have that you know maybe mm-hmm. one or two things that's an automatic check mark. And Michael Thomas had that one thing, but you know Jerry Rice supposedly ran a four, six, five, uh, forty. So you know speed isn't everything, and and uh, he's a great route runner and." Obviously, easy, easy guy to throw to for Drew Brees. Well, and there's many examples of the great players in the league not having good combines or pro days or whatever else it might be because it just, as much as they use it for a baseline for certain things, and Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to come on the show in about 10 minutes and talk about him killing the combine, which has really helped him. But instincts, intelligence, processing, all those things, competitiveness, toughness, I mean, those and what you did in college, those should be all put above what you do at the Combine for the most part. And I think you're exactly right. Someone like Corey Coleman, total freak athlete. He's the first guy because you could go to your owner and say, well, we drafted the most athletic guy. It just didn't work out. And uh, that was instincts, certainly not the instincts case. Instincts are yeah. such a tough thing mm-hmm. to, to try to understand and see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear this. This interview with Winfield Jr. You know, obviously he's he grew up in the world of football and and has I'm sure learned so much from his dad. But I've actually always liked safeties. I, I've never you know that are not always huge guys. You know, they're not like Sean Taylor and you know guy that is he five ten or something. Winfield Jr. Is he? Is yeah, he something like yeah, shorter. Might be five eleven, but yeah. I feel like I've seen a lot of safeties who are smaller, and they are re- again. It's like they're. It's a game of leverage as mm-hmm. they come up for run fits or whatever. They can get underneath the pads of a receiver or a yeah. running back or a tight end. And that's your Tyron Matthew, shift. who's like five nine. Ty- yeah, him, you know, Jimmy Leonard, who's a defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. He was like five seven or something. But man, it was just sort of a. Truly, like they're all little honey badgers out there. Uh, you know, the safety from Nebraska who is with Seattle. I can't think of his name off the bat. One of the better safeties in the league. He, he, he gave the uh, the bird to the Seattle 
uh, front office. When you, when Earl you Thomas, you're talking Earl about. Earl Thomas. Yeah. He's not six foot three either, you know. And I think GM sometimes they like the rangy guys, but man, those smaller guys who are five nine, five ten. I played against a lot of safeties in college and in the pros. Where, where they were shorter, but they were very, very good football players and almost always really good run uh, you know, tacklers, very good tacklers around the last scrimmage, even though they were undersized. Well, and Antoine Winfield's junior's dad is like the, to me, the best pound-for-pound tackler that I've ever seen. He's like five foot eight and was incredible at bringing people down. So, um, you know, I think that his height shouldn't be factored into it and probably won't at this point after he's, uh, done really well at the NFL Combine. So we got to get to that interview with him coming up next. Uh, but Sage, really appreciate all of your thoughtful comments on Tavares Jackson. And it is a sad day in Vikings land because he passed away. So if you missed any of that, go back, listen to the podcast version, wherever you get your podcast or at scorenorth.com. Uh, Sage telling stories about uh, Tavares Jackson and the 09 season. And uh, we'll look for your tweets tonight as you watch back that Favre game against uh, the Packers. Sounds good. All right, Courtney Cronin joins next to help uh, with our interview here with Antoine Winfield Jr., and we'll talk uh, for the next hour as well about some more draft stuff and a best fit for the Packers that's going to annoy some Vikings fans. We've got to bring that up as well. So we'll take a break. We will return here on Purple Daily. We could all use a little help while quarantined, and thanks to our many great local partners, Score North Listening Rewards is here to help with some cash relief. All month long, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 in cash just for listening to us. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North mobile app, register, and you could be a winner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All-around safety, obviously the bloodlines with his dad, who I scouted coming out of Ohio State, Buffalo, and then Minnesota. Everything points to if he can stay healthy, Antoine Winfield's a guaranteed first-rounder. If people wonder about durability, maybe he gets pushed into the early to mid-second, but I don't care. If he stays healthy, he's going to have a really good career. That was Mel Kuyper talking about our next guest, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily, and we now welcome into the show... Uh, Gopher Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, what is up, Antoine? How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Now, I have to start by telling you this. Uh, I grew up in Buffalo, and I cannot tell you how upset I was. And this is going to make me sound like a really old guy to you, and I'm sorry for that. But I cannot tell you how upset I was when the Buffalo Bills did not keep your dad in Buffalo. And uh, maybe you could just tell me if it gets on your nerves hearing about how good your dad was at football. But as a 12- or 13-year-old, he was one of my favorites to ever watch, one of the best pound-for-pound tacklers in my mind to ever play in the NFL. So when you were playing for the Gophers, my thought was, oh my gosh, how old am I, right, that now Antoine Winfield's son is playing for the Gophers. But how much do you get asked about your dad? Yeah, I get asked a lot about him. But um, it's all good stuff. So, um, you know, I don't mind that at all. You know, I was blessed, you know, have a father that played in the league for 14 years um, to, you know, get – get back to me all his advice that he's been through. So it's a blessing. 
Antoine, before we get to some serious football talk, uh, I was curious how this whole thing works. There are a bunch of gifts of you either flexing or waving. I can add them on my Instagram story. I've seen them on Twitter. Uh, I know a lot of draft prospects uh, are in this same boat and, and have these of them out there. Where did you do these? Was this something you did at the Combine? Yeah, it was like a station that they had for us at the Combine where they made all the gifts and uh, short videos of us and everything. That's pretty cool. I No one ever asked me to do anything like that, so uh, I kind of feel a little jealous about that. Uh, but in regards to the Combine, uh, is 45 days ago, you guys were up there. You did the broad jump, vertical jump, your 40-yard dash, uh, got measured, the whole thing, and you didn't get to do your pro day. Was there anything that you felt like you still wanted to show teams that would have shown up uh, to the University of Minnesota on March 25th that you didn't get to show them in Indianapolis? Um, no, I feel like I uh, proved everything that I needed to at the combine. Uh, the only thing that I was going to do in my pro day was probably just position uh, drills. Um, but as far as the combine went, I feel like I proved everything that I needed to. Antoine, what was that like for you to hit the four four five? I mean, because that was one thing that everyone wanted to know. It was a big conversation. Like, we know he's got instincts. We know that he's got the NFL bloodline. He's got the production. Uh, was one of the nation's top guys in terms of interceptions and everything else. But when it comes to you know that pure athleticism, that's one thing. It felt like you had to prove there, and you went and did it. Do you remember what that was like after you saw the number come up? Did you feel like okay, now I have officially solidified myself? as a top prospect at this position? <laughs> well, my goal was to run a 4-3. So I was kind of upset at the 4-4-5. Four, four, uh, but, um, you know, I was still excited with all the work that I put in just to get the 4-4-5. The four, four, uh, so, you know, I enjoyed it. But at the end of the day, my goal was to run a 4-3. That didn't happen, but I was still cool with it. Antoine, I know that we've read so much about the bloodlines, and, and you and your father have this incredible relationship where he goes to the to the league in 1999, and you're about to go in 2020. Uh, I read something that you know during game weeks, and, and especially in terms of game prep, that you would go lock yourself in a room, watch uh, game film with your father over FaceTime for several hours. Walk us through that process of what that was like and kind of learning from your father about playing the position, but also, you know, seeing things that he sees through the film game as well. Yeah, so I would just bring up my opponent's film, and um, we had it on our iPad, so I would, you know, FaceTime him so he could look at the film as well. And I would just pretty much get some feedback from him on what he thought uh, that I could do, um, let's say if a team runs like certain concepts or how, how could I play that better um, or what could I do to position myself better to make plays. So uh, watching film with him, he always just gave me advice on things that I could use just to, you know, elevate my game. So it was great to always have him there to be able to do that, and it definitely <laughs> paid off. Talking with Antoine Winfield Jr., a star of the Gophers defense this year. Now, uh, Antoine, the nickel corner is something we talk about all the time here, that the value of that position has finally fully been realized. I, I'm sure that you've heard from your dad about how valuable that nickel spot is, but you know it's complicated, too. You have you know your run fits to go along with uh, quick receivers, with the two-way go, and all those sorts of things. So uh, how do you like when you get up to the line of scrimmage and you have to play in the box or you have to play in the slot being that versatile weapon? Because it seems like that's what everybody's looking for is that Tyron Matthew type of guy, and you have the skill set for it. Yeah, I feel like that's one of my biggest attributes is uh, being versatile. Um, I can pretty much play anywhere on the back end of the defense, and um, I love it all. I love playing in the post. I love being down in the box. I love blitzing. I love covering. 
So um, I feel like that's my best attribute is being able to play pretty much anywhere. I remember in Indianapolis you had mentioned uh, Tyron Matthews being somebody that you like to emulate your game after, and that's a name that we've heard so many defensive backs over the last few years say, you know, throw out there as a comparison tool. Why specifically uh, do you see similarities between your game with him? Yeah, just the way he plays the game. Um, You know, he's used at uh, Kansas City as that versatile piece where he's pretty much playing anywhere. You see him blitzing. You see him playing in the box. You see him playing in the post. Um, he's just used all over the field. And then just his mentality of how he plays the game. You know, he's not the biggest guy uh, like myself, but, you know, you see that he has that dog in him to go out there and dominate his opponent no matter how big he is. So that's probably something that all DBs can relate to, just um, how he plays the game. Antoine, can you tell us what it was like this year to elevate the Gophers program to being nationally relevant? I mean, you just you you've gone through it all with that program, and then you know you, it culminates with the win against Penn State. Obviously, you have a tremendous performance that day. Uh, the fans are on the field, and it's just a, a scene that we have not um, had here with Gopher football in a very long time. What did that mean to you to have the type of season, and then of course end it with a bowl win? Yeah, you know, I mean everything. Um, we did stuff this year that hasn't been done in over 115 years, and um, go for football history and um, you know coming in with my class you know we always had a goal of you know doing great things and br- and bringing great accomplishments to Minnesota and um, for us seniors to finally uh, go out there and have a great season like we did this year it just showed all the hard work that paid off over the last four years being up at Minnesota so it was just a great experience to be able to part just being a part of the team that you know uh, made some changes for the football program. I don't know if you heard in the uh, open to the show on this th- in the second hour, but it was Mel Kuyper's voice saying, calling you a guaranteed first-rounder. Um, obviously, the draft is a time where there's a lot of information flying around, especially where prospects are on certain people's boards, and it all falls to a lot of randomness uh, come next week, Thursday through Saturday. But hearing a draft analyst put you in that class that you are a guaranteed first rounder what does that mean to you and is it something that you look at all that much um you know i don't really look at it uh too much because you know the draft you know anything can happen on draft day um but you know it's great to just be recognized and um just to have my name out there um but you know i don't really look at it too much you know i'm just ready for this draft day to come out because you never know what can happen Antoine, I'm wondering if uh, PJ Fleck has some sort of acronym or something that goes along with you in the draft, or, or some sort of uh, quick phrase that's fun. I mean, like PJ Fleck has just these these they come out of like air where he just spouts them out, and you're like, how do you think of all this stuff at once? Uh, A is right. does he has he had some advice for you in this process, and also is he really like behind the scenes what we see in public? He is really like that. 100%. <laughs> um, that man, he's one of the most inspirational people I know. Um, just his energy and his passion that he has um, with working with us, it's its unmatched. Like, I don't know anybody else like him. And um, you see it because he brings it every day, and it's not fake. It's not for show. Um, he's like that every single day. Early in the morning at 530 workouts, he's like that. And late <laughs> at night at 6 p.m. meetings, he's like that. It's crazy. What was it like for you as you look back on your college career and the time that you had at the U of being part of this resurgence of the program led by somebody who came in here and he laid out a vision? And I know it took a while for people to buy into rowing the boat and all of the colloquialisms that he came up with, but it feels like by the time, at least the end of the 2019 season, he had the entire state on board. 
Oh, for sure. And it's gonna the program's only gonna keep elevating under Coach Fleck. Um, just the culture that he brought over um, when he came up to Minnesota, it just changed the entire game. And that's where you can see uh, the season that we had this year. You can only contribute that to the culture that he's brought over. So, um, you know, under Coach Fleck, the program's only going to keep elevating. Antoine, uh, last thing for you, you you played, obviously, a ton with Tyler Johnson and practiced against him on a daily basis. He's another guy that Vikings fans are very interested in. And I don't know if you are aware of draft simulations, but there are websites that simulate the draft. And everyone from Vikings fans that I get sent has you and Tyler Johnson both coming to the Vikings. So tell tell us about (laughs) practicing against Tyler Johnson, against him as a teammate, a guy that put up huge, huge numbers and was a major part of the offense over the last two years. Yeah, Tyler is a great player. Um, going up against him the last four years, you know, he's only gotten me better because we're out there competing every day. You know, we're both competitive and we're both out there trying to win. So I feel like we both got better by going up against each other. But um, he's a smart player. He has a great route, um, great hands. Uh, he, he's just a great player overall. Yeah, you don't produce what he produced by not uh, having uh, the route running and the ability to go up and get it. Well, Antoine, this has been really great. Exactly. Let me ask you one more thing before we let you go. So your dad was one of my favorite players growing up that I looked at and said, you know what, if I ever make the NFL, I want to be like that guy. And I quit playing football in seventh grade. But uh, how about you? When, when when you were a kid, though, you know, did, did you have teammates of your dad's that you looked at and, and they were your favorite players? Like, Did you have a guy that you really loved when you were growing up, the same way a lot of Bills and Vikings fans liked watching Antoine Winfield? Yeah, it was two players that I watched um, at the safe position. It was Ed Reed and Earl Thomas. Those are my uh, two favorite players outside of my dad, obviously. <laughs> so those are my two favorite <laughs> players. You know, I grew up watching. You know, I saw it's it's got to be interesting to have your dad be you know a famous athlete and still be your dad. And we all think our dads in some way are kind of lame. Like uh, I saw Shaq's son making fun of Shaq. I'm like, like who who's going to try to roast Shaq? But you know, here's his son making fun of his bad free throw shooting. So it, it's got to be a very unique experience. <laughs> oh, it most definitely is. <laughs> Well, I appreciate all your time, Antoine, and uh, we wish you the absolute best as it comes to the draft process, and a uh, great job this year with the Gophers, and uh, thanks for your time, man. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Antoine Winfield, Jr., there. Um, it is a, a rare sort sort of thing to have your dad be universally loved, too, which, you by know. Both, yeah, by both franchises. That, I, I mean, not that, like there was any sort of, like, you know, negative feelings in, par- in terms of parting of ways. That's, that is pretty unique. No, Antoine Winfield, his dad, is, to me, one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL over the last, like, 20 years. And we didn't have the pro football gr- focus grades for his entire career. So even as an older player and the twilight of his career, Antoine Winfield is still among the best corners and nickel corners in the NFL. And his son has obviously followed along very well in his footsteps as a safety. And I think, Courtney, if they're going to move on from Anthony Harris at some point, probably on draft night, a lot of people will want them to select Antoine Winfield Jr., and I can't argue against it. No, I think that you hear the names Antoine Winfield Jr., Grant Delpit, uh, Xavier McKinney, I believe, as well. Like They're all kind of thrown into that same mix um, of who's going to be the top safety off the board because I don't think you anticipate one being taken until the 20s, which is kind of where you know all signs are pointing to if the Vikings are going to need to make a trade uh, to move 
Anthony Harris off the books and they have to find his replacement right away. And I I think if you're doing it, let's say you're doing it and you're moving back or you're getting a second round pick is like best, best, best case scenario for Harris. I can't see that. But if you ended up with three third round picks, you could move back up uh, in the second round to get him because I I kind of see him as a late first or early Early second second, from most of the mock drafts that I've seen. And if that's going to be the case, you know, you could use that extra draft capital. And if you get a player like him that's that versatile and that intelligent and that instinctual, he just, there, there are certain things when you do this long enough and you read enough of these things and then you see how it plays out. And you and I interview the people in training camp and rookie mini camp and all those things. And then it's like, well, okay, what worked and what didn't? And instincts and intelligence seem to be the ones that check off all the boxes because you know they're going to be athletic. He's going to be 4-4-5 fast, which him saying he was sad at a 4-4-5. Yeah, he didn't get a (laughs) 4-3. Same. I felt the same after jogging last night. Very sad I didn't put up a 4-4-5 or a 4-3. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that consistently Courtney seems to work when somebody has high-level experience to go along with uh, being a smart and instinctual player. Sure, and I mean, think about how much that will be sharpened and taken even to the next level, playing opposite a player like Harrison Smith. I think that anybody who possesses that type of heads-upness and and the ability to be thrown into a number of different spots there in the secondary. I mean, I remember when I was in Indianapolis that Friday morning that um, Antoine was at his podium manning the media session that he had, and he spoke for, I want to say, about 20, 25 minutes. Um, the typical questions of, did you meet with this team? Did you meet with this team? <laughs> yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And so I, gl- I kind of glassed over that, but he brought up Tyron Matthew, and it's just that name specifically because of how he revolutionized uh just being a defensive back in mm-hmm. this modern era of the NFL when he was with the Cardinals, and, and really that's where it picked up after the contract and then what he's done in this next phase of his career. So many guys want to be like that because they realize their value is not just being a deep safety. It's being a slot safety. It's being somebody who can play up in the box. It's being a hybrid linebacker. It's kind of being everything that Harrison Smith uh, has been to this defense and trying to take that one step even further. And for a team that has so many question marks at cornerback, mm-hmm. um, it's, it is definitely a wise bet. I know that safety, like Mike Zimmer said, is not always considered the most important part and the most valuable part of a defense. Well, this team, considering all of the question marks it has within its past defense and how it's going to fix the cornerback group uh, and some of the struggles that those guys, those younger guys, might have right away in 2020, starting in positions they've never started at before, it might not be the worst option to use one of your first-round picks on a safety. Yeah, I agree. Uh, If they're moving on from Harris to pick up another draft asset, and last year we saw how valuable Harris and Smith were when it came to covering up some of the issues that they had, along with Eric Kendricks, that they had about the worst cornerback play in the NFL and still finished 10th in the league in terms of quarterback rating against. Um, Two matters of breaking news. One, it's snowing. And just bleep this. Like, really? (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, I went on a run this morning. That the one thing I had like, in my life was jogging and playing basketball outside. Like, really? I, know. I heard that it's been brutal up there. And that you guys are under some, like, cold warning for a while. It's, like, brutally cold temperatures through tomorrow. So, prayers up. Not, not um, the good. other matter of breaking news, which I know you're going to get to, so I'll go ahead and break it first. Um, the Dalvin Cook implications that now come out of Christian McCaffrey signing the mega extension to make him the highest paid running back in the NFL. Let me um, make a inside reporter joke. Well, I'm confirming that you just (laughs) 
<laughs> announced that that four years, sixty-four million dollars for Christian McCaffrey, and the obvious question, Courtney, is what does this mean for Delvin Cook? I don't know if Cook is going to get anywhere near sixteen million. Just thinking, simply based on the amount of financial resources the Vikings do not have to pay him mm-hmm. that much. At least it looks like it right now. But you know, think about how much the offense went through Christian McCaffrey in Carolina this past year. Different set of circumstances in Minnesota, but Dalvin Cook, nearly 40% of the offense went through him. So you can argue that, and I guarantee his camp is taking note of this right now. Of course. uh, To try and set themselves up for an equally as lucrative payday. Because that's got to be the next move that happens for this team this offseason. And while Kirk Cousins has already been extended, you know, Cook is next. Whenever it happens, I mean, I don't know if it'll happen before the draft. I mean, they've got a lot of things that they've got to figure out first. And there really is no rush to do it at this moment because they know Dalvin's their guy. Uh, I do think if you watched the first take interview last week, it was uh, no coincidence that uh, he mentioned that the ownership group had been calling him throughout the quarantine just to check in and make sure he's doing all right. They are absolutely keeping tabs on someone that they love, someone they want to be a part of this franchise, one of their most valuable players, uh, if not the most valuable piece of that offense. So to me, it's only a matter of time, but it's also a matter of what does that deal look like? And I think a, a case like Christian McCaffrey will certainly help Dalvin's team in, neg- in negotiations, but I just don't know if he's going to get anywhere near that $16 million figure. You know what it feels like to me is even though they enjoy themselves some cap manipulation to have you know maybe the first year with a lower cap hit and then go forward, is I don't know how you can keep Anthony Harris. I just I don't know how you can make the math work, even if you sign Harris to a deal where it's reasonable in the first year. Or, I mean, if you move on from Riley Reef, maybe you can do it. But if this is the price to play poker with Delvin Cook, he's not going to be worth Christian McCaffrey money. But somewhere in the ballpark, he certainly is going to be asking for. So even if you have a $14 million a year, 12 or $13 million a year for Delvin Cook, which I think is probably what you want to make your target if, if you're them, is just below what Christian McCaffrey got. How do you fit that in the salary cap without moving on from Riley Reef or from uh, Anthony Harris? And then does that take away the idea that they could get Trent Williams? Well, I think that if you looked at what Bill Barnwell put out today and just one scenario that would involve a three-team trade that would get Harris and get Reef off your books uh, to be able to bring in, I think it was Desmond King, uh, along with Trent Williams, yep. which is a certain, certainly a big upgrade on the offensive line, and you have a former all-pro corner now in your secondary. That's big, but... You know, in order for that to, in order for Cook to be able to get anywhere near the money that he wants, they have to move on from some lucrative asset that they currently are holding on to, and it's just a matter of when does that happen on draft night? Yep. Because yep. it, it, financially, something's got to give in order for them to do that. Right. So if you are thinking you're going to sign Dalvin Cook to a contract extension similar to Christian McCaffrey in any way, which I will say that a four-year deal for Dalvin Cook takes him pretty much to the end of his prime, and usually these things are designed so you can get out of it after three. And as much as everybody hates running back contracts, and I think that there's a lot to back up, the reason to be skeptical of them, if it's a three-year deal and it takes him through his age 24, 25, 26 seasons, then 
It's, it's not it. You're not in bad shape there. I think if you look at the running back curve, some of them have gone bust. Some of them have worked out in terms of running back contracts. But usually, the running back curve of production is uh, usually like by 28 to 29 is where you fall off. So he's almost 25 years old now. So to take you 25, 26, 27, and then the fourth year would mm-hmm. be 28. They're going to do it. I very much believe to sign Cook because you mentioned how popular he is with the team, his teammates, the ownership, the general manager who drafted him, the head coach who loves him more than anything in the world. I mean, he's he's going to stay. It's just how long do you want to do it and how much for? And if it's four years and you could probably get out of it after three, I don't think it's that bad, even though, of course, it will be widely criticized. Yeah, I think any time you pay a running back a double-digit figure salary and a yearly average, it's going to get criticized, especially in today's NFL. I mean, look at the David Johnson contract that Houston now absorbs. And granted, that was the extension that they gave him. I believe it was in 2018, um, you know, coming off the injury and all of the uncertainty. It looks like a really bad deal because it was. Um, Cook the injury stuff's behind him, as far as we know. Like, I mean, yes, he was banged up a little bit in the 2019 season, but it wasn't something that caused him to, you know, have a degenerative knee or, you know, just not be the same player. I mean, right, he came right. back after that ACL yep. and that hamstring as an even more explosive player. David Johnson didn't look a fraction of what he looked like. Even when he was healthy last year, they decided to go to a three, three-man three rotation at running back. I mean, very different circumstances, but those contracts are always going to get scrutinized, especially in an era where wide receivers are the ones who are typically getting paid more uh, and are considered more valuable to an offense by and large when we're looking at these mega extensions. Cook's case is different, though, because the Vikings do this differently. They are a run-first team. They had the second-highest design run percentage in the NFL last season. The running back is more important in a lot of facets than over overpaying for a wide receiver uh, or anything like that. So I think that that's something you have to consider here when we, when we talk about, well, what can he command? What is he worth? What do the Vikings think he's worth? He's He is the focal point of this offense. They built it around him. So, I mean, the money might be reflective of that. And I suggest... Throw him the ball more often once yes. you sign him. Just keep throwing him the ball. His effectiveness when throwing him the ball was through the roof last year. And if they continue to do that, it's going to help it be worth it. And especially, we're in a league, too, that is about to go 17 games at some point here within the next three years. They could pull that lever. My guess is if we stay on course and everything isn't thrown into just you know complete disarray, uh, by the coronavirus, if we do stay on course here, that it'll be 2021 when that happens. And then every one of these contracts look way more manageable when your salary cap goes up by $100 million the following season. So it's just something to keep in mind as these contracts come out and things like that, um, that I think it's inevitable that Delvin Cook will be back. And you, you it's not every running back contract has not blown up in the team's face. Like yes. every single one has not turned out to be Todd Gurley. Um, so I, I would understand people's trepidation about it because of some of the recent ones. But as you mentioned, his value is extremely, extremely high to this offense. So let's take a break. When we come back, Chip Scoggins is going to join us to talk about the passing of Tavares Jackson on a very, very tough day in Minnesota. And some other sad news to pass along is uh, Carl Anthony Towns' mother has passed away. The team announced today 
from coronavirus. He had done an Instagram video where he had mentioned that the team or that the family was battling with coronavirus and that his mother was struggling. And they announced today that uh, Jacqueline Towns has passed away. So, of course, from Score North, our best to the Towns family. And it is a horrible day. Just just an absolutely horrible, horrible day. And we're very sorry for Carl Anthony Towns. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about more sad news. I'm sorry for that. That's the world we live in. Chip Scoggins joins next here on Purple Daily. In times like these, you may not be thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses. If you're healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or just use the keyword red over at scorenorth.com. Jonathan here with the Score North download. This download powered by Pod MN, the 2009 Vikings game or game 163, 2006 Twins and KG's Wolves. Relive them all and more this Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. with Minnesota Sports Rewind Marathon on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Minnesota Sports Rewind is available wherever you get your podcasts. Again, there's a there will be a Minnesota Sports Rewind marathon this Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. right here on Score North. Also over at scorenorth.com right now, Judd Zolgat explains the quarterback rankings that we had all last week. He gives out the polls that people put up for where they ranked their quarterbacks. So if you want to go yell at Matthew Collar and Phil Mackey about where they ranked certain Vikings quarterbacks, including Wade Wilson and Kirk Cousins being in each of their top fives, you can go yell at them over in the comment section or on Twitter right now. But those Results are over at scorenorth.com right now for free, as well as on the free Scorenorth mobile app. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. Toughest call for me there was Brad Johnson or Warren Moon. Brad Johnson won more games. Warren Moon is cooler. Uh, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. We welcome in our friend from the Star Tribune, Chip Scoggins, to talk about the passing of Tavares Jackson. Chip, it's a terrible day. What do you got for yeah. it? I mean, it is just it is a it is a god awful day today. Yeah, it keeps getting sadder by the uh, hour here, and it's just uh, you know we normally have a lot of fun when we're together talking, and this is not one of those occasions, unfortunately. No, that's for sure. So I hope you and your family are dealing with this all well, uh, Chip. Well, let's talk about Tavares Jackson. Uh, neither Courtney or I covered Tavares Jackson. We both arrived here after his career as a Viking was done. And uh, I, I wonder what you could say about Tavares Jackson, the person. You know, people know the quarterback of the ups and downs, and you would get convinced that hey, maybe he can be a franchise quarterback, and then there would be disappointments to follow. Um, you know, the one season with going back and forth with Gus Farratt and things like that. He has the great game and then the poor playoff game. So I think people know all that. But from you taking the time uh, back in the day to cover him, uh, what was Tavares Jackson like? I would say even killed and he handled a lot of his struggles or all of his struggles with a lot of grace and he never really showed if he was down he was always a a positive guy upbeat uh when we would talk to him have our our wednesday press conferences if he had a bad game or if there was questions about his job security he didn't get testy about it it didn't uh, make him angry i remember um i look back on it uh some stuff we wrote about him today and there was a uh he was doing a charity event in the spring of 2009 and he just come off the bad um, playoff game. And, and there's the Favre uh, speculation was in full drama and he was having a, it was before one of their OTAs and he was having a, uh, 
a parents had a charity thing and so there's some media availability there and um and we asked him about it and Tavares's question his answer was you know if i played better i wouldn't have to answer all these questions and so he understood that you know the way he played and his inconsistency opened him up for criticism and and for all the tough questions he had to answer but he never he never let it bother him and he never um you never really saw him down and in spite of all of this, Chip, Brad Childress, the man who drafted him uh, in the second round of the 2006 draft, was always defending him at every turn. Was it, I guess when you look back on it, is there anything you can pull away from that? Was he trying to protect him? Was he trying to protect, I guess, a decision he made? Or was there something that he continued to see in Tavares Jackson that he thought would eventually come to fruition that just didn't? Yeah, Courtney, I think it was three things probably. One, I think it's natural is when you draft somebody and you take a risk on them. Remember, they drafted them out of Division Two in the second round. There's probably like you're, you've been, you put your credibility on the line in taking this person, so you want to see it through and, and, and hope that you can uh, that that player can realize that what you saw in him. But more than that, I think it was two other things. I think you saw flashes from him, and we saw games. We saw practices. We saw moments where you're like, aha, like the light bulb is coming on, and Tavares is going to get it, and he's going to run with it. I remember at the end of the 2008 regular season when he got back in there for Gus Rott, and he had that stretch of three, four games where he really played well. He was the NFC Player of the Week after the, the Arizona game, and you thought, okay, he's turning the corner. And so I think probably as a coach, you kept thinking, Childress kept thinking, if we can just – iron out the tough spots and just get more consistency, he would be the, the player um, that they hoped he would be. And then also I think it was his personality, what I what I mentioned um, before. And I think fans felt that, and media felt that way. You felt like, all right, this is an upbeat, positive guy. You felt like he really wanted to do well. You felt like he was a good guy when you talked to him. And so you want those kind of players to succeed, and right? And so you – in some ways, you kind of pull for him to, to turn the corner and, and, and become the player that everybody hoped that he would be. And so I think it was all those things um, tied together. But, you know, it, it goes back to when you, when you draft a guy that high, a quarterback, and, and people think it's a risk, you're going to give him every uh, ounce of leeway that you can to, to see it through. Do you think if they won that playoff game, they keep sticking with Tavares and don't get Favre? It, well, what do we done the next week? You know, right, it yeah. probably would have depended on that. If he would have had a game similar to that, then I think um, they probably would have turned the page. But if he would have played well through the playoffs, because remember at the end of 2000, end of that regular season, he was playing well. He had a stretch of games where he looked like the guy that you thought he might become. And mm-hmm. so, but then when the, you know, the bright lights turned on and he throws that pick against the Eagles, you sort of felt like, that was the last straw for him as a quarter as the starting quarterback. Um, you knew that they were going to have to go out and get a veteran, and we thought it was going to be Sage at the time, and and then uh, the Favre stuff cranked back up. But I will say this, Matthew and Courtney, uh, both those guys handled that professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, they were obviously very disappointed, uh, particularly Sage coming here and thinking he was coming to compete for the the starting job. But even Tavares, you know, that team was, was loaded. They had a ton of talent on that team. And they both of those guys thought that they were going to have – they wanted to be the quarterback, the starting guy, and they both felt like they had a good chance. And then, obviously, when Favre came, they had to readjust. And, and both of them were disappointed. They didn't, they didn't hide that, but they also were good teammates. They didn't allow it to be disruptive or anything like that. So both of those, handled, both of those guys handled that such, uh, situation pretty well. 
from everything you're saying, Chip, the one thing I gather from, from reading stuff and just knowing kind of the story of Tavares Jackson is there's this, I guess, this sense of this giant unknown with him because he had a few good years in Minnesota and then he leaves to become Seattle's quarterback in free agency in 2011. Obviously, that lasted for one year, but he bounces around, ends up back in Seattle, finishes uh, his career there in 2015. Obviously, along the way, he wins a Super Bowl ring uh, as Russell Wilson's backup got into that Super Bowl game against the Broncos. But, um, you know, in, in looking at the whole picture here of what could have been uh, and what was with Tavares Jackson? What is his legacy remembered for overall, for, in your perspective, as a quarterback in the NFL, but specifically where he ranks, I guess, among those guys of those second-tier quarterbacks in, in Minnesota? Yeah, I think he's just a guy who was never reached what you thought he was going to be. And for whatever reason, it was just the lack of uh, consistency. I don't think it was talent. I mean, we saw the physical talent. I mean, he could scramble, he's mobile. Had a good arm, um, and we and we saw the high the high points too. So you, I don't think you say, well, this guy had no talent, because we saw when he played well, you say, yeah, he has a lot of talent. Um, but just for whatever reason, it never clicked to the point where you could count on him for a full season, and and you knew what you were getting. And that's the thing with him; you never really knew over a long stretch where you're going to get good Tavares or bad Tavares, and. I think that's just and why why that happens for guys because it wasn't just one system. You know, he went to other places and it, and it didn't click there. So, for whatever reason, he just was not able to sustain it, sustain those high points. And so, I think um, if you look back just at his football career, I would say he was an average quarterback. He was, I mean, he lasted ten years, so that, that speaks to what mm-hmm. uh, organizations thought of him as a person and how hard he worked and. And what he was as a teammate, and his talent too, but he just wasn't a starting quarterback that you would rely on over the long term. All right, he goes to Seattle. He goes seven and seven as a starter, which was kind of the same thing in Minnesota. He actually went five hundred in Minnesota as a starter, five hundred in Seattle as a starter, but eventually uh, does win the Super Bowl as the backup for the Seattle Seahawks, and he got into that game, which is pretty rare for a backup to end up, yeah. uh, you know, in the Super Bowl. He gets in, but. Um, his, you know, his, his post football life, uh, chip, we would get some headlines from here or there. It seemed like he ran into some struggles, but what everyone has talked about today is how he was getting back into football, getting stability in his life, becoming a quarterback coach and things like that. Um, you know, it just, it seemed like Tavares was starting to go in the right direction with his life. Yeah. And that's the thing. Once he left here, you know, you followed him from afar. And then once he got out of the league, I you know I saw the headline that like other people did where he he had the um, you know the the issues um, off the field. I didn't even know he was had gotten into coaching. To be honest with you, and, and that's great. I mean, I'd, um, I'm sure he would have a lot to offer because he's seen both sides, the good and bad. And he knows the the struggles and could help you know help players that way and dealing with uh, you know the criticism that comes when you're a quarterback. And by all accounts, it sounds like talking to people that probably had kept touch with him that his life was starting to get you know on track and this kind of second chapter of his life with his wife and kids and that's you know it's just such a shame I mean 36 years old and um just knowing uh how positive he always was and kind of upbeat and never down and it's just you know you hate to see a, a young life like that uh, taken so soon 
Switching gears here just for a second. Is Am I safe to assume, Chip, that in 2009 you were at the Vikings-Packers Monday night football game? I was. I was. Okay. And it was, so uh, yeah, it's, I heard the replaying it tonight. Yes. And it was, that whole week, Courtney, was crazy. Because, uh, you, you know, you're coming off the, the Greg Lewis touchdown catch the week before, and so the town was electric and on fire. Because that's when you felt like, uh-huh, they're getting Brad Favre. Because the first two weeks he was a game manager. And he really didn't do a whole lot. And then the third week against San Francisco, he has this just heroics, and now the town's on fire because, okay, they got the real Brett Favre, right? And, and it's a Monday night, and, and the Packers are coming in, and it's just you can't think of a better storyline than that. And so that whole week was just crazy in town. And Favre tried to downplay it, Courtney. He was like, that's ah, just another game, another opponent. And, you know, we just <laughs> sure. kind of laughed and rolled our, laughed, laughed and rolled our eyes. But um, it was something. It wasn't – it was different, like, w- when they played there, obviously, um, just the emotion going back because that's where – that was his home and the booze when he ran out there was something I'll never forget. But, um, yeah, just the way he played and kind of how – calm and cool he was. I wasn't sure what to expect because I figured he was nervous and he admitted as much after the game. He said that's as nervous as he's ever been for a game. Um, so I wasn't sure how he would be able to handle that and harness that, but he, you know, he was typical Brad. He played great and um, it was an unbelievable scene. It was so loud in that in the Metrodome that night. It was just a, you know, it's one of those games you remember, all, you know, for all your all your career, this one of those few games that just kind of stand out to you. What was, yeah, I, what was, I remember the um, it was something during a 2017 conference call. I think it was about Adrian Peterson coming up here to play against Minnesota for the first time. We had John Gruden on, uh, and he was just talking about the Brett Favre specifically that game. And I guess he was throwing up in his hotel room the night before, and just an yeah. absolute nervous wreck. And then he goes 24 31 for 271 yards, three touchdowns, not a single interception. Um, I guess when you look at I, you know, cul- the culmination of, of that night, but in the bigger picture, does that rank anywhere for you in, in terms of the top Brett Favre moments you covered? Yeah, that one, but I still think going back and the way he played there, um, it, the first his first trip back to Lambeau, because I remember we were sitting, and, and, you know, you guys have been in the Lambeau press box, so you can't hear, a, you know, a lot of the crowd noise, but when the Vikings run out of the tunnel before the game, there were loud boos, and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't so bad, you know? And then I realized Favre was at the end of the thing, and then he comes out, and it's like a jet engine taking off. It, those boos <laughs> just go to the loudest thing you've ever heard, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> that was unbelievable. And I think that even shook him. I don't think he thought it would be that bad, and he sort of admitted as much after the game that he was surprised by how um, one-sided it was. I think he was kind of hoping it was 50-50, some cheers, some boos, but um, it was not. It was loud. It was the loudest I've ever heard a person be booed when he ran out of that tunnel. Was that your favorite year to ever cover, Chip? Yes, by far. I mean, that, uh, just everything about that, uh, season was, uh, magnified, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, every week was magnified. The way he played, that team was really good. Just the storylines, um, and then obviously the, that epic ending to it. Um, that was, and that was a fun team. A lot of great personalities, really good players. Um, so that was, of all the teams I've covered in my career, that in uh, seasons, 2009 was my favorite. Well, it will be on tonight on uh, Courtney, your network, ESPN, replaying the uh, Vikings win over the Packers week four, 2009. An incredible performance worth rewatching um, because, you know what, Chip, I have this experience Anytime I see Moss highlights, anytime I see Barry Sanders, Brett Favre, Michael Vick highlights when he first came into the league, like where you go, 
Every time yeah. it every time it blows you away. Like you never get used to how much better he is at this than everyone else. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm uh, I want to watch back at it as a just a spectator because you guys know when you're on deadline on a night game, oh yeah, yes. things get things things get a little bit blurry and you, and, you know it's just kind of <laughs> hectic. It'll be fun just to kind of crack open a beer tonight and watch that game as a spectator and enjoy it all over. Well, uh, Chip, we appreciate you coming on here. We'll do it next time and have a little more fun, uh, hopefully, and and uh, we'll hopefully have a better day the next time you can pop on. But uh, always appreciate you and hope the family is doing well. Stay safe out there, Chip. Yeah, same to you, Matthew and Courtney. See you guys soon. Appreciate it. Chip Scoggins of the Star Tribune. Um, let me throw this out there. Speaking of the Packers and the Vikings, ESPN, our friend, Matt Bowen, new new best friend, maybe. We could call him. Best friend. He was on the show best last friend. Week. Yep. Friend of the program. Friend I hate, I hate best when friend. shows say that. Best friend of the best program. Best friend of the program. He would be in your top eight if this program had a MySpace <laughs> top eight. Yeah. He would actually be number one. Yeah, who would be... Who would be our Facebook that has like an it's complicated? Maybe it's, what is that? Eric Eager, probably. Eric or Judd. Like it's just always complicated with Judd. But Matt Bowen <laughs> did uh, best fits in terms of like quarterbacks in this draft. And he has the Packers with Jalen Hurts as the best fit. And I'm sure you've had this as well, Courtney, that still, despite Kirk Cousins' contract extension, every draft sim has the Vikings that we get sent by fans, has them taking three players. Antoine Winfield Jr., Tyler Johnson, and Jalen Hurts. Still, yes. even after the extension, which is just so wild to me, all the draft sims that have been sent our way, uh, I figured more people would kind of knock off on on that specific position and, and probably address a third-round pick with a receiver, another defensive lineman, etc. But uh, I do believe that you can make a draft pick for a quarterback in this class yep. in the second or third round, somewhere on day two, and not have it feel like a throwaway pick. And that's Jalen Hurts to me. Uh, could it be Jacob Eason? I don't know. I don't I don't really get all that. Um, I, I mean, there's not that much hype around him to begin with, but I just don't feel the same because the value of someone like Jalen Hurts, the playmaking ability, the ability outside of the pocket, uh, is just it's not third round level. Like it definitely to me is either late first or early second, but for whatever reason he's talked about as a second, uh, a day two prospect. And that could go a multitude of different ways. It could be either early day two, it could be late day two, but he should be gone by the third round, which is why if the Vikings have a chance to get him, they should, because regardless of where you have Kirk Cousins going uh, in your mind beyond this season, it never hurts to draft a quarterback because you really only get one chance to find your franchise guy, and that's through the draft. So I tweeted this out a few weeks ago, and some people on Twitter got, as Chip Scoggins would say, pissed. Uh, <laughs> Good accent. So um, I like Jalen Hurts better as a prospect with no qualifiers than Justin Herbert. And Mike Renner of PFF tweeted out a statistic that solidifies what it is has been my issue. Because I, I watched a couple of games from each guy, and I came away thinking, God, I would just rather have Jalen Hurts at any draft position than I would want Justin Herbert. And here's the stat that makes sense of it for me. Percentage of uncatchably off-target throws between 5 and 18 yards downfield. So what does that make up? 80% of the throws in the NFL are between 5 and 18 yards downfield. So you're not talking deep bombs. You're talking anywhere from short throws to intermediate. Tua, number one in the country with only 4.3% of his passes being uncatchable and off target. 
Jalen Hurts, number two, at only 5%, and Joe Burrow, 5.1%. So those three are a far cut above on all the throws that go 5 to 18%. Justin Herbert, 18% of his throws that are shorter intermediate are inaccurate and uncatchable. So more than three times as many inaccurate, uncatchable, short and intermediate throws by Justin Herbert than Jalen Hurts. And I understand the criticisms of Jalen Hurts. And when you watch him, he definitely holds on to the ball too long. Uh, but when he throws it, it's accurate a lot of times, especially downfield. He put up great numbers. He's in the Heisman conversation. He has a huge comeback win against Baylor. I mean, I like him a lot as a quarterback, and I don't think the Vikings are in position to spend a first-round pick on him. No. But it, but second or third, you could certainly justify it just because of the positional value and the fact one thing that Hurts brings you is even if he's not great in practice and you're like, I don't know if this guy's going to make it, but throw him in there, give him the football, he runs over linebackers. Like, he, he is a great playmaker with the ball. So even worst-case scenario, maybe he does change into something else of a playmaker, like early Lamar Jackson was being used in Baltimore before he took the job there. I've always been a little surprised at just the way that the top four quarterbacks uh, have kind of panned out in terms of, like, where where most people think they're going to be taken and in which order, and then the rest of the field. Like, why why hasn't Jalen Hurts been in that same conversation with someone like Jordan Love, considering Love's interception numbers and, and just the disparity between 2018 and 2019. I mean, you look at where Hertz was in his last season at Alabama and obviously getting you know swapped out essentially for Tua and then what he went on to do at Oklahoma in the Big 12, a far bigger conference than where Jordan, Jordan Love played at, at Utah State. Do, do you, have you ever been able, in speaking with draft analysts, have you gotten a feel for why? The the rankings are the way they are, yeah. and why Jordan Love has been known really as the fourth quarterback, because that to me should be Jalen Hurts' spot, no question. Yeah, if you're going to even put Herbert ahead of him, which I guess I sort of understand that some people decided uh, two years ago that Justin Herbert was the best quarterback in this class, and first impressions just die hard. Yeah, the Jordan Love one is weird, and that goes another thing of first impressions die hard because Love's. Sophomore season is very good. Throws 32 touchdowns, and he looks like he's going to be potentially the top pick. And then he just has such a poor junior season. A lot of people thought he should have stayed in for another year to get that draft stock up, but it doesn't seem as if it's mattered. I guess we'll find out on draft night, but he's still being talked about there. There is so much inconsistency. And by the way, that same statistic, if you were wondering about Jordan Love, his was almost as bad as Justin Herbert's. Mm -hmm. 14% of his passes compared to 5% uh, in terms of short and underneath uh, inaccurate throws. And by the way, I should mention that one thing that PFF has discovered is that your negative plays sort of are one of the most transitionable things to the NFL. So if you have a lot of negative plays in college, you'll probably have a lot. Bring them with you. Yes, exactly. Whereas the high-end plays, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I don't know the answer to that question. I think it's because Love is tall and has a big arm, and Jalen Hurts doesn't have a big arm. But look around the league. and Lots of quarterbacks that do not throw the ball 95 miles an hour and yet still have a ton of success. So I, I can't put my finger on that one personally. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. And I wonder... Will there be any sort of change on draft night? And I'm not saying that I expect Jalen Hurts to miraculously sneak into the first round, but given the disparity of what we've heard, is he an early day two pick? Could he fall all the way to the bottom of round three? You know, the Vikings have a number of different picks, three third rounders 
or you know two two third rounders currently um you know in in that mix in the top 105 to where let's say they do trade one of those top uh trade back one of those top picks that they have in the first round and then you get another second rounder mm-hmm. and then maybe yep. even maybe even that's where I was going with that you'd have three third rounders let's say they get that how could you not at that point yeah. i mean you'd have so much draft capital to address a handful of different positions that it hurts you in no way by taking a quarterback like Jalen Hurts if he is available to you and you may have to use a higher pick you may have to use a second rounder depending upon how the rest of the quarterback board falls i think that's also going to depend on where Jalen or excuse me Jordan Love goes because a lot of scouts right now is what we're hearing uh in teams and personnel departments have him with a day 2 Grade, but where exactly is that? Like, how close to Jordan Love is Jalen Hurts and mm-hmm. vice versa, and where they'll go in the draft? I think the Vikings should absolutely get in on that action if they have the opportunity to. Yeah, it's uh, rarely a bad idea to draft the quarterback that drops. I mean, it's just worked out so many times for teams that thought that they had it all set. You know, I mean, the Patriots draft Jimmy Garoppolo in the second round when they still have Tom Brady. You know, there's lots of stories like that. So it should be a consideration for the Vikings, uh, even if. The arm strength isn't exactly ideal. So, uh, Courtney, great stuff. You are going to be busy tomorrow, so we will catch up with you on Thursday, and then you'll be back again on Friday. As always, appreciate your time. And um, hopefully we just all have a better day tomorrow is the only thing I can say. Let's start the week over on Tuesday. Let's do that. So, all right. uh, Tonight, the 2009 game with Favre. We're going to do a little watch-along on Twitter, so make sure you join that, and we will catch you tomorrow on Purple Daily. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.